One of the most impactful leaders in English history is King Ethelstan of the 10th century. He was the first Anglo-Saxon king to rule all of England. He booted the Vikings out of York, passed laws that cracked down on theft and fraud, and punished corruption. Athelstan established tax laws forcing the rich to help the poor, mitigated the punishment of young offenders, and believed deeply in education. Around 930 AD, he codified Britain's laws and included a section requiring the sale of chattel be witnessed by a neutral third party who would take an oath to act truthfully and in the law's best interest. They would swear an oath with the phrase, as developed in Old English, sooth, all the truth, and not yet sooth. Today, translated, that would be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That has stood the test of more than a thousand years. In 2020 vernacular, we might use these words, authenticity, the truth, transparency, the whole truth, and consistency, nothing but the truth. Today on Stories and Strategies, we speak with Jordan Berman, who has developed what he calls the Trust Trifecta, reflecting on this centuries-old oath. My name is Doug Downs, the music off the top there by Peter Horn, playing a reproduction 10th century harp. My guest today is Jordan Berman. Hello, Jordan. Hey, Doug. And you're joining us today from the city I grew up in, in Toronto. How is Canada's biggest city today? You know, it's pretty lovely. It's about one degree with an expected high of three. We got uh, the north-northwest winds coming in at about eight kilopascals per hour with some precipitation this afternoon. It's pretty nice. That's not bad. That's not bad. Jordan, you are the VP of Corporate Affairs, Business Transformation and Strategic Planning for the global pharmaceutical firm Apotex. You have an amazing professional background, including working with multinational companies like Johnson & Johnson, Kraft, Pfizer, SC Johnson & Sons. You have an MBA from the Kellogg School of Management and a Bachelor of Arts from York University in that Tirana area. You're also the author of the book, The Trust Trifecta, A Leader's Guide to Hitting the Trust Jackpot. Jordan, I know when you say leaders, you mean more than CEOs, board chairs, even VPs. We are all leaders in our way if we choose to be. The trust trifecta, you've boiled it down to three key elements, authenticity, transparency, consistency. Let's take them one at a time. Authenticity, a little bit of a buzz phrase here in 2021, uh, last few years in particular. But I think what you're saying is once I learn to fake authenticity, I'm really all set, right? Well, I could tell you uh, said that with tongue firmly planted in cheek. And uh, But to take the premise of your question, I mean, two things. One, you're absolutely right that authenticity has indeed weaved its way into everyday lexicon over the past number of years. And marketers are seizing on it. Advertisers are seizing on it. But I think in terms of the second part of the question about being and trying to be or trying to behave authentic – 
I mean, that's the essence of authenticity, meaning you can't try to behave authentic, authentically. You can learn how to be authentic. Harvard teaches a course, as do many other universities. And learning is really about being vulnerable. It's about listening. It's about seeking feedback from others and incorporating that feedback. But you don't have to try to be authentic. Learning and being intentional about it is different. Your behavior will show up. People will know whether or not you're being genuine. So if you try to behave, people will see that you're trying to versus just being yourself. Okay, transparency. I, I always appreciate this idea, but it it also seems a tad altruistic, if I may. I, I can't be fully transparent in the corporate world when there are business strategies, confidential for comp competitive reasons. Um, and is it better to be transparent and trigger fear or pick the right time for my transparency? I like to think there's always a right time for transparency, or it's always the right time, not there can always be. And I say that because you're right, Doug, that there are times absolutely when there is certain information that can't be shared with employees in an organization, regardless of its size. However, we say that on the one hand, our people are our greatest asset, but if we don't talk straight up with them, if we don't tell them what we know, and what we don't know, or what we can and what we can't share with them, how do we expect to build that trust? How do we expect to build that deep, meaningful connection with them? And so for me, transparency is really about saying, look, here's what we can tell you. Here's what we can't tell you. And I'll tell you why we can't tell you. The decision hasn't been finalized. We're still gathering input. We might be working with a partner, for example, that's publicly traded and has disclosure requirements requiring confidentiality. And so really it's about being transparent about what you can be and what you can't be. And I have to tell you uh, time and time again, from hundreds of thousands of surveys and engagement surveys at different organizations I've worked at, transparency comes up as a number one lever in organizations around the impact on engagement and morale and culture. And so it's absolutely a critical element. And consistency, no argument to that. What tends to get in the way of leaders being consistent? I think there's two things. On the one hand, there's the behavior, which I'll talk to. And on the other hand, there's really the intention, the you know, the deliberate intent around planning your communication. So let me take that one first. Let's use an example of an offsite meeting. Many times people will go offsite, they'll have a meeting and employees will be wondering either what they're talking about, what they're going to talk about, what decisions are being made. And what you have to do is plan ahead and say, look, here's what we're going to tell employees about what we're talking about. Here's what we're going to say when we come back from the offsite, because the people at that meeting are going to come away with perhaps different ideas about what was discussed, different interpretations maybe even different ideas about what can and can't be shared. And so to ensure consistency, I think at the end of any meeting, it's to say, here are the key messages, or here are the key takeaways, or here's what we think is important for people to know, and then take that into the organization. So that's one example on the intentional side. On the behavior side, I mean, you know, we talk about consistency in terms of communication, but communication is both verbal and nonverbal. And so the words have a very strong ma marriage, if you will, to our actions. And so the behavior side is we can't say one thing and then do another thing because that erodes credibility and it erodes trust. So that's also where I see uh, people fall down, if you will, and people uh, get challenged with consistency when they say something and then they behave in a different way. Okay. And, and I know you've talked about making a connection with people. Again, no argument to that. 
just easier said than done. Um, there's generational divide, gender, culture, even known political agendas. Um, I know how most of my coworkers vote by how they behave on social media, right? That people aren't, people are transparent. So that, I guess that's a good thing. Uh, and can we connect sufficiently if we're kind of working from home and fuller in part, even in the future? Well, first of all, I think some of the points you made are really important, so I don't want to lose them around gender and uh, generations and culture, because those do have to factor in, and you do need to consider those as you look to build connections with people in the workplace. And connections are at the heart of the book, and what I argue is that those connections happen through relationships built on trust, and the way you get to trust is being authentic, transparent, and consistent. In other words, the premise is that for many people, they just believe if I come into an organization and I'm senior, then by virtue of my role, trust is ascribed to me. Or I've done it before, and so I look to my past track record, and so people will see I've done this before, therefore they'll trust me. But as you know, trust has to be earned. And what I would say is, if you account for all of those, then you're going to be well on your way to earning that. Now, the wrench, if you will, is what you said about you know working remotely. Correct. Absolutely. And I would say, and I would say that's for me not a wrench. I think we we put too much uh, emphasis, if you will, on that challenge. Because I'll give you an example. I and I'm sure many, many people like me have hired people since the pandemic began. I've hired two people to my team since last March. One literally the week before we all became remote, or half of my organization. They've never met me. I've never met them. They've never met anybody from the team. They've never met anybody in the organization. And yet they feel very comfortable. They have navigated the culture. They've understood the culture. They've established their own networks in the organization. And so I think we're placing too much, if you will, undue emphasis on the fact that we can't be together face to face. Look, there's no doubt that when you're in a room with someone, it's a different kind of ability. However, I would say that the difference between that and talking to someone face to face on a video is negligible. And I think we put too much emphasis and say that technology is the reason why. And I don't think it's that complicated. Love that. And I, I think you hired a couple of folks with some good communication skills deep down. Um, for many in leadership positions, you tell me if you agree. What I've seen in my career is they begin to realize that there's a deeper layer of communication. Maybe they speak well, maybe they write well. They certainly tend to know their technical abilities. And that's, that's what's really elevated them along their path. But there's a much deeper layer of communication that is not necessarily intuitive, at times counterintuitive. And that's what's keeping them from getting to that next rung on the ladder. How does your book or, or how can you help? I think, first of all, you're spot on. There is a difference. You know, I think as people progress in their careers, as you rightly point out, it's less about technical skill because that's an assumption that you have those skills, those, quote, hard skills, and it's much more about the soft skills. And so think about it in the broader term of interpersonal effectiveness. How effective are you in relating to another person or many other people? And the way you do that is through communication. And so this book is very much, as the subtitle says, it's a how-to guide. It gives you specific strategies that you can immediately apply. It outlines some of the challenges you've already discussed on your journey to better communications, stronger communication skills. And it gives you tangible, concrete examples that you can relate to to help you understand the context. 
I think the last thing I would say that's really important that you pointed out is that it can be absolutely a career derailer. I've seen it personally, and I know others have before. I've seen it in other people that I've worked with throughout my career. It doesn't always happen early enough. And I think that gets back to the fact that maybe somebody wasn't transparent with them during a performance management conversation. And so that's why they're all connected. You know, if I said to you, Doug, you know, you need to be better at providing uh, feedback to your team uh, and then you don't go and do that, then you're not setting your team up for success. And then somebody doesn't develop the skill that they need to develop and so on and so forth. But if I said to you, you know what, Doug, here are all the things that I think that are really strong about you. And I want to focus on those strengths and build them further. And here are a couple critical areas where I think you and I could do some work together to get you to that next rung on the ladder, as you called it. And I think that's part of it. The, the conversations aren't transparent enough so that people understand that building this skill set is a, a deliberate, intentional demand on you. The, the challenge with it is that we do it by nature. So we communicate all the time with our friends, with our family, with our partners. And so as you're going through your career and developing and becoming more senior, nobody ever sits down with you and says, let's do some communication skills training. I rarely see that on a development plan. What I see is let's do some presentation skills training. That's one part of communications, as you know. But the interpersonal effectiveness, that's a whole other matter. And that gets to the elements of the book and how you build connections with people. I like that, especially what you said about communication just seeming to be natural. I mean, the average human on the face of the earth speaks 16,000 words a day. So we tend to think we got this. And as leaders are developing and that rapport starts to become more of a, a, a deliberate process, one of the biggest challenges is that developing leaders start trying to force it and then they start slipping into something that's kind of part jargon, part lazy bailout because it helps me avoid a genuine conversation kind of thing. It's more of a mental thing than than any physical thing. I want to play you a clip from a YouTube comedy troupe led by Trip Crosby and Tyler Stanton. I know you've seen these guys, but listeners, I I, I bet you've seen a video or two from these guys and, and didn't quite know who they were. They are extraordinary. See if this doesn't sound like your place of work. So what space are you guys in? Is this B2B? We're B2C. Is it C2C? We're B2C to B. We're B2C to B, but back to C sort of. Sometimes A. We're a brick and mortar. We're soup to nuts. Okay, let's ideate. So what's their value proposition? What platform are you using? Who did their UI? Their UX. CSS. IP. I see you P. She's C-level. She's an aqua hire. A serial entrepreneur. A disruptor. A total disruptor. That dude is a coding ninja. This new app is cutting edge. Leading edge. Seamless. End to end. Game changing. Disruptive. World class. Freemium. It's pretty much the Uber of food trucks. It's the Uber of dry cleaning. It's like the Uber of tax auditing. It's like the Uber of taxis. What are the deliverables? Are those baked in? Are those included in our best practices? Is that actionable? I'm gonna have to marinate on that. I'm not willing to die on that hill. I, I'm worried about the unknown unknowns. I'm worried about the known knowns. What's our launch date? Do we have a drop dead date? It's gonna be 11th hour. It is O-Dark 30. Look, we need more wiggle room. All right, we'll have to do it on the cheap. Now, is that gross? Is that net? Is that gross or net? Is that net net? That's net net? Can you unpack that? What's your guesstimate? That dovetails perfectly into my idea. Mm, 
I'll put it on the back burner. Uh-uh. That's not mission critical. I think that's sideways energy. That's not even in our wheelhouse. I don't have a wheelhouse. I mean, I have a house. That's where the rubber meets the road. How can we repurpose that? Can that be monetized? Can that be optimized? Can that be insourced? We're just trying to create some cross-pollination. That is the silver bullet approach. Can we go under the radar? Can we go over the radar? I don't have the bandwidth for that. Can we talk offline? We're gonna have to talk offline. We are talking offline right now. This is talking offline. Guys, we are batting a thousand. There's definitely some synergy here. First of all, I, those guys crack me up. They are brilliant. Trip and Tyler, and I think there's a few things in there from my perspective. Uh, first of all, one of them you started talking about, which is there's all these subtleties that when we feel like we're going to make somebody feel uncomfortable, that we tend to steer away from it. It's human nature. We're all emotional by nature, and we don't like to upset other people. And so we sort of dance around sensitive topics. We use phrases like, the elephant in the room. I mean, how many times have you seen an elephant in a boardroom? I've never, maybe you have. But we say that because we actually don't want to say there's something that's really difficult that I want to talk about. It's very sensitive. And I know it's going to upset some people, but I feel like we need to talk about it. That's not how we typically speak in the workplace. And look, what's funny about that, that clip is that I am guilty, and I'm sure you have in all your years of corporate communications expertise, we use that kind of lexicon. And I think in part we use it, yes, to not get to some realities. And in part, I think there's a bit of an efficiency. In other words, if we say something like streamline operations around the globe, that's a lot quicker. And we assume that people understand what that means instead of saying, look, we have to reduce our footprint. We need to make it smaller. There are going to be some jobs that are impacted. However, we're going to be building capabilities in this other market or in this other part of the organization. That's a lot longer, the way I just explained it, than saying we're going to streamline and look for organizational efficiencies. And so there is an efficiency. And the problem is, and you said it, is that we, it's an assumption. It's a misguided assumption on our part that when we speak at this high level with these corporate jargon words, that people get it and that they understand it and they understand the meaning behind it and the implications and the context. And that's the part that we all need to be really, really cautious with. That's quite a paradigm shift in thinking. Um, mental health. Stress levels are significant for people in all corners of the world right now. What's your advice to leaders in this regard as they try to establish connections based on authenticity, transparency, and consistency? I would say stay close to your people. Stay close to your people. And by that, I mean checking in with them. It could be five minutes. It could be 10 minutes. It could be two minutes. Just schedule some time. Maybe contact them uh, by phone during the work hours, but when you don't have a meeting, just to say, hi, Doug, I'm checking in just to see how you're doing this week or over the past few days, everything good with your family. And I think that that's really, really important. We've seen that in my organization. I know other organizations have also looked to boost sort of their leadership uh, development capabilities to making sure that we really take care of our people. There will be programs inevitably mental health programs, webinars, resources that organizations hopefully will provide to augment it. But nothing is more impactful than your personal manager showing compassion and empathy for you personally and how you're coping through these stressful times. And that will help you build a connection. And mental health for leaders, uh, find a peer that you can share with if you can. 
Absolutely. I think that's great advice. Find a peer. They're going through the same thing. Get ideas from them. Share not just frustrations and difficulties, but best practices. Here's what I did with my team, and it worked really well. I take ideas all the time from my colleagues about what they do around team building and ideas when they connect with their teams. And I mean, that's all part of creating, you know, relationships peer to peer with people and connections peer to peer. And then the last thing I'd say about that is also self-care. And I think as leaders, not dissimilar from parents, you know, for those leaders who really focus on their team and take care of their team, they focus on their team so much that they don't focus on themselves. They don't take time out from themselves. Uh, they don't schedule some time during the day to go for a walk, uh, get some fresh air, maybe exercise, eat well. And so I think that's the other thing is just to remember self-care, which is something I think everybody is uh, slowly coming around to learning the importance of. Beautiful. Thank you. Appreciate your time today, Jordan. Thanks, Doug. Great conversation. Appreciate it. And the book is The Trust Trifecta. It's available at Chapters, Indigo, Coles, Amazon. There's a link to it in the show notes here. If you'd like to send a message to my guest, Jordan Berman, you can email him at jordanberman8 at gmail.com. That too is in the show notes. If you liked what you heard today, we're hoping you choose to subscribe to Stories and Strategies and receive updated episodes automatically. We'd love it if you followed us on Twitter. It's at comms underscore podcast. We're also hoping you choose to follow and rate this podcast on any directory you're listening on and do us a favor, recommend this podcast to one friend. If you have an idea for an episode, just want to tell us something, send us a note at info at jgrcommunications.com. Thanks for listening.